0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Well, welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. Today is the first Friday of December. It's December the 3rd. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the little stations that pick us up, Stations of the Cross and other stations. We thank you so much. Thank you for our supporters and our listeners. And uh, we're going to do some little Bible study today. Um, Today It's Advent. It's not only the first Friday of the month, but it is the beginning of Advent here. We had the first Sunday of Advent this last Sunday. So it's a special time of the year, so we want to talk about that. But um, it is... Noon, so we're going to start with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, Be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Most Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers. And I had on my title here today for the show is uh, Maranatha or Maranatha. <laughs> and it was interesting. I'd never really thought about it myself until I'm doing a Bible study on Tuesday nights here at the Sacred Heart Chapel in downtown Covina at 381 West Center Street. And um, we're, we're, reading through the catechism of the catholic church we're studying the catechism the catechism of the catholic church is very all catholic teaching is rooted in scripture but not 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 Scripture isn't the only place that Catholic teaching comes from because the divine revelation that Jesus Christ left to his church isn't all contained in Scripture, and that's made evident in Scripture. St. Paul writes to Timothy, he writes in his one of his letters, I believe it might be the letter to the Timothy, he says, Hold fast to what I have handed on to you by word of mouth or in writing. So there were things that were handed on, particularly the sacred liturgy of the church was handed on by word of mouth. And by action, so everything isn't written in Scripture. And as a matter of fact, Scripture says that John the Apostle says at the end of his Gospel, if everything that Jesus said and did was written, I'm I'm sure the whole world could not contain the books it would take. Now, um, you think, oh well, that was that. That's just what do you call poetic license or hyperbole? Or well, really, it's been two thousand years, and we're still trying to understand the fullness of the revelation of God made to us in Jesus Christ, that God himself became man. And that's, we're in the season of Advent, and this means Advent, waiting, the coming, the coming of the Lord, and we're waiting for the coming of the Lord. And so as we're reading through the Catechism, paragraph 551, it says, um, it's talking about the title Lord and why Jesus gets this title. Christian prayer is characterized by the title Lord, whether in the invitation to prayer, the Lord be with you, its conclusion, through Christ our Lord, or the exclamation full of trust and hope, Maran- Maranatha, Maranatha, our Lord come, or Maranatha, come Lord. Amen, come Lord Jesus. And um, that, that exc- exclamation, amen, come Lord Jesus, you have that in 1 Corinthians sixteen twenty-two and in Revelations twenty-two twenty, And so we're looking here at this. Is it Maranatha or Maranatha? And it's funny because up, up until recently, I had all, only heard it said Maranatha. So I didn't realize there was another way to pronounce it. It turns out that um, Maranatha, Maranatha, is, a, is an Aramaic word. It's not a Greek word. So when you look it up in the Greek New Testament, that the that, that, um the word Maranatha is not there. It but it's the it's the um the um <laughs> thank you Aramaic. Okay, so it's an Aramaic expression. So what do we have here in Revelations? We have in Revelations twenty two, you have this epilogue and benediction. John has had this tremendous vision, these revelations from God. And by the way, these revelations are <laughs> They're about things that were happening in his own time, much of it. And, and so it's, it's not like, oh, this is what it's going to be at the end of the world, whatever, you know, this is a preview of the end of the world. No, remember, for the Jews, when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, that was the end of the world. The temple represented the cosmos. The sun and the moon and the stars were all painted on the ceiling of the temple. Yes, the stars fell from the sky. The temple was destroyed. So yeah, everything that Jesus said, you know, about the end of the, the end coming, he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and it was the end of the old covenant, but not the end in the sense of that was no good. It needs to be destroyed. It's gone. It was the fulfillment. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promises made in the old covenant, but the old covenant wasn't complete because Christ was the completion. Christ is the new covenant. He establishes the new covenant in his own blood. And so he comes. And so we have here in Revelation the epilogue and the benediction and the, you know, the warnings of, you know, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may be, have, have the right to the tree of life and enter the city of the, and the gates, by, by the gates. And then it says, in verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David the bright morning star. And in in verse 17, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Come, come. And at the end, in verse 20, he says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And in the Greek there, in some translations you'll say come quickly because there's a word before um, that's not translated. And the word means, whenever it's put in front of another word, it means this needs to be done rapidly, rapidly. come, So are we longing? What the scriptures is telling us is we should be longing for the coming of Christ. We should be praying for his coming. We should be begging him to come again. So when we celebrate here in Advent, um, Christmas is not just a looking back. It's not just a past. It's not just remembering the past. Okay? And I want to talk about that, too. But in, in Paul's letter here to the Corinthians in 1622, he says what? He says, if anyone... if Well, he says, "If any one of you has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed." And then he says, "O Lord, come, Our Lord come, Our Lord come." So it, it, the, "Our Lord come" is a rendering of the Ar- Aramaic expression, "Maranatha, or Maranatha. Lord come." This prayer, which is likewise echoed in Revelation 22:20, 20, which we just read, was spoken at the end of one of the earliest Eucharistic liturgies on record. It's recorded in the Didache, ten six. It, its use in the liturgy indicates what Paul himself asserts in one Corinthians eleven twenty six, namely that the sacramental worship of Christ, of the ch- of Christ in the church, or the sacramental worship of the church is oriented toward the coming in glory of Christ. We're longing for his coming in glory. We should be praying for his coming in glory. And what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six? 26? Well, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, Paul said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this chalice, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim his death. Remember in the consecration of the mass, the bread and wine are, se- are consecrated separately to represent the death of Christ. the consecration because when you have the separation of body and so- uh, body and blood, you have death, right? If you take all the blood out of someone 's body, they will die. so you con- the, the, the priest con- consecrates the bread first, which represents the body of Christ. remember after the consecration, Jesus Christ is whole and entirely present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in both elements. The bread, what was bread, is now his body, blood, soul, and divinity in his risen, ascended, glorified state. What was wine is now his body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of wine. So it's under the appearance of bread and wine after the consecration. But at the consecration, they're consecrated separately to represent his death. And it's not, we're not killing Christ again. That's not what the mass is doing. It's recalling, this sacrifice of Christ, the one sacrifice of Christ that is sufficient to take away the sins of the world. And I hear the music. So, again, I want to thank our listeners. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. This is December 3rd. It is the first Friday of December. Please remember to make a visit to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and try and get to Mass. And we will be back with more talking about what does Advent mean and what, in regards to this Maranatha or Maranatha.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call triple eight five two six twenty one fifty-one. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Thank you for joining us this Friday, December the third on Bible with the Barbers, and we're talking about Maranatha Maranatha. It can be said either way. And basically it's just it's a prayer asking for the Lord to come to hasten his coming. And we were um, looking at some passages of Scripture where, you know, what are we looking for? What, what is this that we're asking the Lord? Well, um, we, we looked at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, where Christ, Paul is talking about the Eucharist. He's talking about the whole Eucharist. And the, um, he gives his account of the establishment of the Eucharist. And then he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this chalice... And he's, he's talking about the consecrated bread, which is no longer bread. It's Eucharisted bread. And that's not, it's not bread at all. It's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, his risen, ascended, glorified body, blood, soul, and divinity, present under the appearance of bread. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what is this until he comes? Well, the liturgy awaits its fulfillment at the coming of Christ in glory. So, the liturgy that we experience on this earth is not meant to be eternal it's it's the church is is gives us in her in the sacraments what is necessary for us to get to heaven and heaven is our goal we don't we have here no lasting city we're not looking for an eternal paradise here on this earth we're not looking for lasting happiness in this passing world not happening that that's not what we're looking for we're looking for heaven. We're looking for heaven. I'm waving to someone who's watching me from the studio <laughs> a couple of someone's. you notice Terry's not with me today. He has our grandson, yeah, and he's watching us. He's happy boy. So we have this anticipation. we should be anticipating and praying for his second coming. We should be praying for this, and by the way, we should be sacrificing and and making um you know efforts to bring about his kingdom by being closer to him and allowing God to make us holy i I was talking to um, a priest, and he was talking about, you know, the ancient Greeks, and even Socrates. Socrates, who didn't have faith and he didn't have the grace that we have, he was a pagan. And yet Socrates lived a life of tremendous discipline and self-restraint and, and self-control simply because he wanted to come to know God. And he understood. Just through the use of his human reason, he came to understand that unless he lived a mortified, disciplined life where he controlled the passions of his body and made them subject to the desire of his mind to know the one who created everything, he wanted to know God. And so he told the Greeks He said, you say I'm impious because I say there is one God and he transcends us. And then in order for us to know him, we have to live a disciplined, mortified life and we have to be virtuous. The truth of the matter is you Greeks, you're impious because you don't want to live a disciplined, mortified life. You want to live an immoral life. And because you want to do that, you create gods who are far immoral, more immoral than you are to justify your immorality. And he was a pagan. And so he realized that somehow, if you are going to come to know God, you have to live by a certain, and it's written, God said, he said, I will write my law in their hearts. So when God makes every person, he makes us, we know the natural, we can know the natural law with the light of our human reason, without the light of faith. There are certain things we can't know fully, and we get We get fooled by the enemy. We do have an enemy, by the way. I remember my brother Joe used to say, he said, you know, I don't believe in conspiracy theories. There's only one conspiracy that I'm aware of. And that is that we have an enemy, the devil, and he has this conspiracy to get us all to hell. (laughs) So we want Christ and we need to pray every day and stay close to Christ. And this is, Socrates wanted God and he wanted to know God. And because of that, he denied himself all kinds of pleasures and especially illicit pleasures in order to be able to have his mind free to be able to know God. It's amazing. And, and so it's like if this pagan could do this in his pagan society, he went to his death for this. They killed him for it. Hey, you know what? He will receive from God the reward that God will grant him. But all of that comes, all of that grace comes through Christ. So we have, we have here this desire for the coming of Christ. And we should, he's going to return as the judge. Okay, but in a certain sense, he already does. Because what does St. Paul say here? He says that if we eat the body and blood of the Lord without discerning it, we drink judgment unto ourselves. So his very presence in the Eucharist is a judgment upon us. Are we worthy and are we examining ourselves and eating the flesh and blood of our Lord in the Eucharist worthily? Well, what does that mean? Am I conscious of having commit a mortal sin? Have I willfully broke the law of God? In such a manner that it's moral sin. And and to willfully out of contempt for the law break any of the Ten Commandments, okay, this is all serious moral evil. Breaking of any of the Ten Commandments is serious moral evil. If it's done willfully and with contempt for the law. All right? Now that does not that's not saying that a little four year old who's learning about obedience and hasn't reached the age of reason, they're not capable of sinning yet. Okay, but they need to be taught. We need to be taught what truth and goodness is. And we need to teach our children what obedience is and why we're obedient. Not because we're waiting for someone to punish us and beat us up. Because somebody loves us. And when we disobey, it degrades us. And so we want to become all that God wants us to be. And, and he gives himself to us in the Eucharist, yes, as the medicine for the sick, But if we're in the state of mortal sin, and we know we're in the state of mortal sin, the Eucharist is not medicine for us. It's condemnation. We we eat judgment unto ourselves, okay? For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment unto himself. So we don't just approach the Eucharist because I somehow have a right to it. No, it's a privilege. It's a gift from God. But we need to ask the Lord to purify us of all mortal sin so that we're not eating judgment unto ourselves. And you know the Ten Commandments. You know how to read. Learn the Ten Commandments and live them and ask the Lord for the grace to live them. Okay? And, and, and if, you know, it's like that. I remember one time I was like, well, Lord, I, I want to give up my attachment to, to sin, but. <laughs> I need, I need, I need the grace to want, to want it sometimes, you know, because sometimes the attachment is so strong. It's like, well, I don't really want it. I don't want to give it up. I want that attachment. And it's like, okay, Lord, give me the grace to want, to want, to give it up, to really want, to want, to give it up. And sometimes we have to go back a step further and say, okay, I'm at the baby step. I'm at the bottom. I need to want, to want it. So get me there to the point where I would desire it and then help me, Lord, to live according to the desire you give me. And the Lord will give us if we ask. He will give. And so we pray for the Lord's coming. We want to hasten his coming by living according to his law. And by that, of course, is what? Love the Lord your God, first and above all things, with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength and will, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus took that up a step. Love, your, love one another as I have loved you. So we have to show this love in charity toward our neighbor. And so the church is telling us that we should be longing for the coming of Christ. We should be eagerly longing. okay. and even though Christ is already present in his church, Christ's reign is nevertheless yet. Excuse me. Christ's reign is nevertheless yet to be fulfilled. There's still a fulfillment that's coming with power and great glory by the king's return to the earth. This reign is still under attack by the evil power, even though they have been defeated definitively by Christ's Passover. And these have all kinds of scripture references here. You know, that Christ returned to the earth, Luke 21, 27, and Matthew 25, 31. And then we want Christ, um, that the, the, the powers of evil are definitively defeated by Christ's Passover. Second 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 until everything is subject to him, until there be realized a new heavens and a new earth in which justice dwells, the pilgrim church in her sacraments and institutions, which belong to this present age, carries the mark of this world, which will pass away. And she herself takes her place among the creatures, which groan and travail yet, yet, and wait The revelation of the sons of God. You should recognize that. 2 Peter 3.13, Romans 8, 19-22, 1 Corinthians 15-28. So we groan and travail and we're waiting the revelation of the sons of God. The whole world, the whole world. We're waiting for that moment for Christ to return in his glory. In his glory. This is why Christians pray above all in the Eucharist, to hasten Christ's return by saying to him, Maranatha, our Lord, come. We desire him to come. And at this Advent time, we're not looking for him to come again as a little baby. But that's important for us to recognize the humility of our God, that he did come to us as a little baby, and then to accept every child that God creates as a gift and as a, an image of Christ himself so that we don't despise any children, no matter how small they are, no matter the circumstances of their conception. Every child is a gift from God. Children are a blessing from the Lord a gift, the fruit of the womb, like the arrows in the quiver of a warrior. Oh, the happiness of the man who has filled his quiver with these arrows. He will have no cause for shame when he disputes with his foes in the gateway. See Psalm 127. Every child is a gift and children are always and only and everywhere in Scripture spoken of as a gift. Children are gifts from God and they are images of Christ. Christ. You now it's interesting in the passage of Luke where the women are bringing their children to Jesus and the apostles are trying to push them away oh Jesus is tired he doesn't have time for the children take them away and Jesus rebukes them but the word that he and Jesus says to them let the little children come to me for such as these belong the kingdom of heaven okay And no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he turns and becomes like a little child. And Jesus blesses the children. But Luke uses, in in that passage, in Luke, he uses the word for child, the same word that he used in the infancy narrative when he refers to Jesus in the manger. So every child we see, we should see Jesus in that child. We should see Jesus in every little child that we see. This is what Christ is telling us. And this is what the evangelist, Luke, is telling us that Jesus meant. He means for us to see him in every single child. We should welcome every child. We need to protect the gift of life. From the first moment of its conception to the moment of its natural death, life is a gift from God. And we have no right to take it away. We have to protect life. There's that music again. Seems like I'm always having to take a break around here. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers, talking about the coming of our Lord and longing for His coming.
0: Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. So in in Thy Kingdom Come, at paragraph 2817 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says the petition, Maranatha, the cry of the Spirit and the Bride, come, Lord Jesus, even if it had not been prescribed for us to pray for the coming of the kingdom. And it is prescribed, right? What do we pray in the Our Father? Thy kingdom come. We need to pay attention to the prayers we pray. We can learn from them. God is teaching us through the prayer, especially through the Our Father, because God himself is the one who who taught it to us. We would willingly have brought forth this speech, eager to embrace our hope. In indignation, the souls of the martyrs under the altar cry out to the Lord, O Sovereign Lord, Holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Remember that's in the book of Revelation? <laughs> yeah, the souls under the altar are crying out, How long, O Lord? How long? Revelation 6 9. For their retribution is ordained for the end of the world, indeed, as soon as possible. Lord, may your kingdom come. So we're longing for the kingdom of the Lord to come. We're longing for his kingdom to come. And by the way, this is a lot of what Advent is about. It's not just a looking back, a nostalgia about the birth of Christ, although there is so much mystery and so much humility in there. The humility of our God, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself and took the form of a slave, right? Second Thessalonians, correct? Or is it First Thessalonians? Probably First Thessalonians. This is Second Thessalonians. So, but that beautiful hymn where we, we acknowledge the humility of our God. Oops. Well, now I can't find it. Anyway, you know the passage. <laughs> And I know it by heart, but that doesn't mean I know where it is. <laughs> and as, as, as one of the authors of the New Testament says, somewhere in Scripture it says, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. And he was known to be of human estate, and it was thus that he humbled himself. So Christ humbled himself. And do we understand Do we understand what this means? The humbling. The second person of the blessed Trinity really became man. He really took to himself a human nature. And he came as a child, a little child. And I think it's so important for our world. Number one, as we look back to the first Christmas, when, remember, the incarnation took place at the moment of the annunciation. That's when the Son of God became flesh. But in the womb of his mother, and Christmas is when he's born, the nativity, the birth of the Lord. And, and in, in looking back, let us try, let us pray for the grace, to pray for an end of the culture of death. The culture of death will not bring about the kingdom of Christ on earth. The culture of death is the culture of the evil one. It's the culture of our enemy. Remember, it was through the disobedience of, Of First the angels that there became a sin at all that there was there became evil That was the rejection of God the rejection of goodness evil is not a thing It's the rejection of good. And this is what Satan did. He rejected God and then into the world that God created for man Sin is brought through the envy of the devil So the devil envied man because God revealed to him that he planned to send his son as a man and that he would raise men, creatures that were less than the angels by nature, he would raise them to a greater dignity than he had given to the angels because they would have a union with God that the angels couldn't have because the angels don't have a body. Now, Satan didn't know when and where this was going to take place. And when the Blessed Mother had been chosen by God, Satan didn't even see her. He was not allowed to come near her or touch her or tempt her. Remember, just as God created Eve, the first Eve in the garden, in the state of grace, he creates the new Eve in the state of grace. She, Mary of Nazareth, is to carry the Son of God in her womb for nine months. And and Bishop Sheen used to like to quote from um, the, the painter who painted Whistler's mother. Whistler, I guess it is Whistler, and it's, he paints a picture of his mother. and it's a lovely picture, and somebody asked him, "Well, did your mother really look like that?" And Whistler said, "Don't we want to make our mummy look the best she can? And if that's true for men, us sinful creatures, how much more did God want to make his mummy the best she could be? So he creates her in grace in order to make her a worthy dwelling for his son. So when we look at the crib, let us remember every child whose life is threatened and every human being, by the way, whose dignity is threatened by the culture of death. Every human person was made in the image and likeness of God as a person to be loved. That's why we exist to be a praise of the glory of God's name. Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we pray for the coming of his kingdom. And as we look back on the babe at Bethlehem, we need to look at our present time and the times we live in and say to the Lord, Lord, we live in a time that despises you. We live in a time that doesn't want to welcome you, especially not in the form of a child. Help us to open our hearts to the children. Help us to fight through prayer and fasting and whatever legal means we can to protect all life. And it's not just the life of the innocent little children which is threatened now. Now it's the life of anyone whom society deems uh, less than desirable. Okay? This has happened before in human history. And as Christians, we need to stand against that. We need to stand against that culture of death that sees human beings as just objects to be discarded and rejected. You know, any form of sin, remember Christ says, he who sins is a slave of sin. And no slave has a permanent place in the father's house. So we pray for the freedom of the children of God, that we live free of sin. And that we welcome Christ into our hearts. And particularly by embracing the little children. And we need—we have a lot of growing to do in the Catholic Church in this, in this manner. Because children need to be welcomed at Mass. Children need to be welcomed in church. You know, if a little child is making a little noise at church, don't look at their parents with those daggers in your eyes saying, get that kid out of here, he's making noise. My mother had a beautiful story she had back in Minnesota, out in the country, My mom and dad were on a farm. They had quite a few little children, I think four or five little children. And there were two Sunday Masses, one at 8 a.m. and one at 10 a.m. Well, my mom and dad would go to the 8 a.m. Mass because my father taught CCD during the 10 a.m. Mass. But my parents didn't have two cars. So my mom would stay in town for Mass and she would go to the second Mass. And sometimes that was rather difficult because sometimes the little babies, you know that's a long time for a little baby. And, and um, in those days you fasted from midnight the night before And there was no exception for nursing mothers or pregnant mothers So it was rather difficult for my mother too And so one particular Sunday It was the middle of the sermon And the baby was getting so fussy And the priest, his name was Father McHenry God have mercy on Father McHenry And my mother just decided, no it, it, The baby's making too much noise It's time for me, I have to take the baby out So she stood up and she walked toward the back door of the church And father just continued his sermon until she put her hand on that door to open it. And then he said, stop. Don't you take that baby out of this church. And my mother turned around and looked and he said, that baby is preaching a better sermon than I will ever preach. And then he interpreted for the congregation the sermon that child was preaching. The sermon of love, of self-giving love, of love that's willing to sacrifice itself, of sacrificial love, The, the sermon of acceptance of this little child in the name of Jesus Christ and recognizing Christ in this child, the beauty and goodness of this child made in God's image. And Father went on and on. He changed his whole sermon, but he let his congregation know, the sound of babies in this church doesn't bother me and it shouldn't bother you either. These children are the future of the church. Without the children, we're dead. And my mother was so grateful to that priest. Because as a mother with a large family, she experienced persecution from Catholics. And this is not in the 1960s. This isn't after Vatican II. This is before Vatican II. This was before I was born. And I was born in 1957. My mother was already experiencing persecution from Catholics because she accepted children willingly and lovingly as God sent them. So was my father. So we need to accept the children. We, We have a lot of reparation to do in the church. We need to pray that Christ's kingdom will come in the church too. You know, we need to live in the churches if we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's the Lord of our whole life. And there's nothing in this earth that can happen. Nothing can happen in this earth. No evil can happen on this earth without God allowing it. He doesn't will it. And no good can take place without God inspiring it and giving the grace for it to be done. God is the source of all good. So we have to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ in every moment of our life, every moment of our day. We should be living in the presence of God constantly. Jesus said to pray always. Not sometimes, not once in a while, always. I remember talking to a group of young people one time and telling them we should be thinking about God all the time. And one of them said, that's too much work. Well, no, no, it's not really too much work. You think about stuff all the time, don't you? You think about your, your concept of what you think the world is or how you think things should be or the relationships between human beings or who are winners and who are losers or... You know, who's worthy or not worthy? And why don't you turn and change the subject of your meditation and cease the inner dialogue and start thinking about God? We'll be back. (laughs) That that break just comes up too fast. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this December 3rd, first Friday of December in a bad day.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888 Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, December 3rd, um, 2021. And Terry's uh, babysitting our grandson. And I found those references. So um, the one imitating Christ's humility is in Philippians chapter 2 where he talks about, though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped at. That's Philippians. And then the one where he says, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions which you were taught, either by word of mouth or by letter. That's in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. So it was that the, the word of mouth or and, and it also that's a, there's a cross reference there to 1 Corinthians 16 13 and 11 2 okay so the scripture passages you have cross references and you have other places where they're um, they're referenced so we want to make sure we get those right so that Paul has handed on traditions um, and you know Paul his personal example was a form of apostolic catechesis. He says that. He says, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And you can see that in um, 3, 7 of the same letter, 2 Thessalonians, uh, 3, 7 through 9, and then also in 1 Corinthians 11, 2, 2, Timothy 1, 13. So he didn't hand everything down in writing. The church didn't hand everything down in writing. So there, there are things that were handed down in a sacred tradition, it's with a capital T. And yes, there is a sacred deposit of faith that Christ left to His Church, and is the 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 job of the Magisterium of the Church, the teaching office of the Church, that is the Pope and the bishops in union with Him, to safeguard that sacred deposit and pass it on. So we're talking about. Christ coming. We're praying for his second coming. We're longing for his second coming. But we have to remember also his first coming teaches us a lot. (laughs) It teaches us about humility. It teaches us about our attitude toward God. It teaches us about how we should behave before God. Remember, Jesus Christ is the second person of the blessed Trinity who has taken to himself a human nature. He's equal to God, and yet he empties himself and he hides behind this human nature as um, Father William said in one of his talks one time, it's, it's, it's not a wonder that Christ is transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a wonder that he wasn't walking around like that all the time. He veiled his glory behind his humanity so as not to scare us away. But he shows his glory to Peter, James, and John in order to strengthen them for the trial of his Passover, his Paschal mystery. That's what he's talking about with with Moses and Elijah on the mountain is his Passover. That's about to his exodus. That's about to take place in Jerusalem that he will die. He came to die. So when you look at this little baby in the crib on Christmas, remember he became a child and took to himself human flesh so that he could suffer in his flesh in order to make reparation for the sins of the world. He came to free us from sin and death. He didn't come to say, oh, it's okay. I will just cover over your sins and pretend like they don't exist. No, God is God. God can't do that. I mean, you know, God can do anything they say. Well, yeah, but God cannot not be God, right? And, and, and so, it, it, and, and he can't create evil. Uh, and he, God can only make good. So if there's evil around, it, it came because of sin, because we give in to sin. God didn't make sin. And he didn't make any form of sin. And anything that is sinful came from our rebellion against God. That's what what makes evil. That's what evil is, is the rebellion against God, the rejection of the good. And so Christ shows us this obedience, this obedience to the Father, complete obedience to the Father's will. And he submits himself. He submits himself to become a little child, and he grew. And he grows in wisdom and age and grace before God and man. Now, as a human, as a human being, he wasn't a human person. He was a divine person who had a human nature, but his human nature was informed. His his intellect and and, and his human soul was informed about his mission. As a child, Jesus was not uh, walking around in in um, a daze or some kind of a a, a darkness. He knew who he was. He knew what his mission was. Yeah, the the Catholic Church teaches that from the first moment of the existence of his human soul, his human soul had the beatific vision. You cannot be God and not know that you are God. He knew that he was God incarnate. Nonetheless, he had to learn experiential knowledge. So that little body that he took, it had to grow and develop in his mother's womb, had to be born although it was born miraculously. Mary didn't go through the normal birth. It was a miraculous birth because he is the son of God. And and then he has to learn how to walk. He has to learn how to eat. He has to learn how to take care of this body that he has taken to himself. Now, he's God. He understands the purpose of the body, but, you know, and he can have infused knowledge, which the church said he did. His human soul had infused knowledge. But nonetheless, he didn't have experiential knowledge. You didn't have the experience of living in a human body. So we need to think about all these things at Christmas time. And especially in our time right now, and, and it should weigh heavy on our mind. We need to pray for an end to the scourge of abortion and the scourge of contraception and the scourge of euthanasia or mercy killing. It never dignifies a human person for you to kill them. We don't take innocent human life. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not take innocent human life. We have to respect the life of every human being. And by the way, even the life of criminals in prison, we have to respect their lives. And we need to pray for their conversion. We need to pray for all of our conversions. This is what Jesus came for. I didn't, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to, to save it. The Son of Man was, didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it, that the world might be saved through him. And in the Old Testament, it's very clear. God says, I do not wish the death of the sinner, but that he turn to me and live. God desires every sinner to be converted. We have to make a choice. Everybody doesn't go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. We have to choose to cooperate in God's plan. We have to accept his mercy and we have to give up our sins. This is why Jesus came. So we want to long for the coming of the Lord. Maranatha or Maranatha, either way, our Lord come or come, Lord, come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. Come now. We need you, Lord. We need your grace and your mercy. We've lost sight of you. We don't know you anymore. We deceive ourselves into believing that if we just live in this this passing world and have material things, we're going to be happy, and that's enough for us. But God, you made us for yourself, as St. Augustine said. Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We will never find full happiness in this earth, because we weren't made for this earth. We're made for union with God. We were made to be united with God for all eternity. And this is why God became man. He recapitulates all of creation in himself because he takes to himself a real created nature. He really became a human being, not a human person. He's a divine person who takes to himself a human nature. And by doing so, he gathers up all of creation into himself and brings it back to the father. That's what's in Thessalonians is the recapitulation of all things in Christ. Or was it Colossians? Oh, I did it again. <laughs> I don't have another break to check it out. <laughs> but we got the first ones, okay? The, the 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 humility of Christ is in Philippians and and um the others in Second Thessalonians, where Paul talks about hold fast to what I have handed on to you, whether by word of mouth or in writing. It's not just by word of mouth, but also in writing that the gospel is handed on to us. But we need to live that gospel. We need to live it fully, and we need to strive daily to do that. Jesus tells us to pray always, so we should pray. Remember, all, every prayer, he said, when, he said, when he taught us the Our Father, he didn't say, this is the only prayer you can pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this father in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done so we should first petition god that his name be glorified in us that his kingdom would come and his will be done that we would cooperate in that plan and then he, then we pray for our needs give us this day our daily bread but that daily bread as it it doesn't just mean the bread it doesn't mean the bread we eat it's the super substantial bread the eucharist the bread of life jesus said i am the bread of life jesus christ is the bread of life he comes to feed our souls with himself you know the, the beautiful thing is jesus didn't just come to be with us 2000 years ago we're supposed to say that angelus that we said at the beginning of the, the show today we're supposed to say that three times a day in the morning, at noon, and in the evening, to remind ourselves that God really became man. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But he didn't just dwell among us in the past. He remains with us. He remains with us by grace. But he also remains with us in the Eucharist. He is really Eucharistically present Body, blood, soul, and divinity, the physical reality of Christ, his risen, ascended, glorified body, blood, soul, and divinity is present in the Eucharist under this species of bread and wine. Species, the appearance of. He is still with us. He still remains, Emmanuel, God with us. What nation has God so close to us it, it, it so close to it as our God is to us? God wants to draw us into union with himself, into friendship, into communion with himself. That's why he comes at Christmas. And that's why he came as a little baby. So we wouldn't be afraid of him. And unfortunately, in our world, we've allowed ourselves to become afraid of little children. It's like, oh my gosh, who would want a baby? That's a burden. That's so much sacrifice. That's so much, that sermon that Father McHenry preached about Self-giving love, self-sacrificing love, love that sacrifices itself to the point of death if necessary in order to save the beloved, to do what is good for the beloved. Maranatha, Maranatha, our Lord come, come, Lord Jesus come, come quickly, Lord Jesus come. Let us pray during this Advent for the quick coming of our Lord Jesus, that he will come, that he will come into each one of our hearts and transform us into living images of himself. And then by doing so, that he will transform the world and make it into his kingdom. But again, we're not looking for a permanent kingdom on this earth. We're looking for the kingdom of heaven. So we want to get to heaven. Jesus, if I'm not in the state of grace, put me in the state of grace. And if I'm in the state of grace, keep me there. And please grant me the grace of final perseverance. Thank you so much for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, December 3rd. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you, those who pray for us and offer your sufferings for us. Remember the Spiritual Warfare Conference coming up in in January 2022. You can sign up for that. And thank you, those who have asked us to pray for them. We do pray for you. We lift up your prayers. May God richly reward you and bless you. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus.